0: Today, we're going to talk about hope, that thing that keeps us going when we feel like we can't wait any longer. To help us in this conversation, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, beginning in chapter 13, verse 11. Now, of course, the letter to the Romans is considered Paul's masterwork. And it's lengthy. It's dense. It's hard to get through it if you don't have a good study Bible. Paul is speaking in these great, grand theological terms and concepts for much of it that is so hard even today to fully wrap our minds around, especially when you consider that he was doing this without the help of creeds or established doctrine. I mean, they're building the theological bridge as they walk across it, and and Paul is just, is just brilliant in his explanation of these really high, heady concepts, and that's not the part of the letter we're going to read today. See, somewhere in the middle of Romans, Paul makes a turn, and he, he comes down out of the clouds and begins to address the real-world ramifications of this theology, of what it means to follow and believe in Jesus. And he's talking to a community of Christians who are divided, who are fighting amongst each other about whether they should value their tradition out of the Jewish heritage or whether they should uh, lean into being this new expression of faith reaching Gentiles. And, and, And Paul's trying to write this in a way to help heal them, but also to kind of wake them up, as we'll hear, to the realities that this world doesn't have time for their infighting. They need to be doing something different with the way that they're living and being as the church. So with all of that in mind, let's pray before we read Scripture to invite the Holy Spirit to make this text come alive for us again this morning. That it might change the way that we live. Let, Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for a home called Lover's Lane. God, we give you thanks for... The week of Thanksgiving and this coming season of Advent, and and maybe we gathered around tables with more people than we could count and shared a wonderful meal, or or maybe we ate at a TV tray all by ourselves. And God, I I hope that you would remind us that we never are truly alone, that even in the dark places and seasons of our lives. You are always there. Whether we are rejoicing and laughing or whether we are crying and alone, you are always there. So God, let us look for your hope again. Let us find those points of light to guide our way in the darkness. Let us find hope this morning in your words to the Apostle Paul. Allow them to leap off of the screens and off the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts so that they could change the way that we live. All of this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And we say, amen. Amen. Let's rise for reading of God's Word this morning. This comes to us uh, from the Common English Bible Translation. So it's going to sound a little bit different than what you have in your pews. Paul says this, as you do all of this, as you do all of this, you know what time it is. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over, and the day is near. So, let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around and obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't plan to indulge your selfish desires the word of God for the people of God let us say thanks be to God you may be seated I want to begin today with a question sounds like a simple question what time is it do you know what time it is Rick do you know what time it is Do you know what time it is, Jackie? What time is it? 11.17. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. I'm going to ask you what time it is from here on out because she didn't say it's a quarter after 11. She said it's 11.17. And I like people like Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. As you can see, I have a a watch on my wrist. I don't leave the home without it. And if I ever do, I turn the car around. I go back and get my watch because I hate not knowing what time it is. And I don't want you to tell me it's kind of 11 or it's a quarter. No, I want to know 1117. Jackie, thank you so much. How many of us hate not knowing what time it is? We love to know what time it is. You were the kid sitting in class watching that secondhand tick-tock, tick-tock, tick tick until the hour ended. And those last few seconds took forever, didn't they? I hate not knowing what time it is. In fact, I normally can tell you what time it is without even looking at my watch because I probably looked at it two minutes ago. I love knowing what time it is. If you walk up to someone and say, what time is it? they're going to look at their watch, they're going to look at their phone, or they're going to say, I'm sorry, I don't have a watch on me, and I don't know how to even talk to those people. (laughs) It's a simple question, but that's not the question that Paul is asking. That's not the type of time that Paul is talking about. There's a very good word in ancient Greek, the language that Paul is writing in for the word time, like a watch kind of time, the second-hand ticking kind of time. That word is chronos, like chronological It's the human concept of time. It's the way in which we order our lives. It's how we know that the train should be there at five minutes past two, right? Kronos time is helpful, but that's not the kind of time that Paul is talking about. He says, you know what time it is. He says, you know what kind of kairos this is. You know what kairos it is, right? And a Kairos time is not Kronos time. Kairos time is not human time. Kairos time is God's time. It's a cosmic time. It's the time of seasons, the time of eras. There's a connotation with it that it's this window of opportunity that will not last forever. It's a window of opportunity that will not last forever. And Paul says, don't you know what time it is? It's not 11.20. It's 11.20 now, Jackie, right? 19. Thank you, Jackie. Our, watch, our clock is wrong in the back of the sanctuary. That will not do. We have to update that before next Sunday. It's not 11.19, church. Do you know what time it is? This is Advent time. This is a Kairos time. This is a window of opportunity that will not last forever. The Advent time, the Kairos time of Advent is a time for us to wait, for us to anticipate, for us to expect something good, something beautiful, something simple, something pure, nothing less than the infant person of Jesus the Christ. God made flesh. Do you know what time it is. This is not a time for an overly scheduled Google calendar of party after party after party. This is not a time for you to worry and wonder if you got every single item on everybody's wish list. This is not a time for you to worry about how many different casseroles you can fit in two ovens in one home at the same time. That's not the kind of time that it is. That's pretty good chronos time, but that's not going to lead us to the kind of depth of spirituality and the kind of walk with Jesus that we need this Kairos time of Advent. This morning, I, you know, I wrote this sermon in Kansas City and, and while we were visiting Reagan's family, and so all I had with me was my Bible. Can you imagine a preacher only having the Bible to write a sermon? Who'd have thunk that? I also had my laptop, so I could Google some things. But I, what I've got for you this morning is a reflection of sorts, on this passage, because the first time I read this passage this week, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what it had to do with me or Advent or anything about my life. But as I kept reading it, and I kept reading it, and I let Paul work on me a little bit, and I let the Holy Spirit work on me a little bit, wouldn't you know, I met Jesus in these words. I found hope in the words that Paul offers to the church in Rome, because I began to understand what time it is. And so I want you to walk with me through this passage again. And maybe you'll see what I see. And maybe you'll see things that I don't. But I hope that you leave this morning with points of light in your life. First point of light, first point of hope that I find, is I find hope in waking up to hear the newborn Christ. Now let me say what I mean about that. Anybody in here a sound sleeper? Anyone in here with someone who is a sound sleeper? Maybe that's easy. You can put their hand up for them like, no, honey, you're a sound sleeper. So I am a very sound sleeper. I can sleep through basically anything. Give me a thunderstorm. Give me a train whizzing past my window. Give me anything I can sleep through it. When we first had Andy, our three, almost four-year-old daughter, you know, we're in the hospital room after she's born, and they've, they've finally handed her off to us. We're holding this, this child that we're going to have to keep alive for the next 18 years, right? That's the deal, right? And you're kind of having that gravity, that moment hit you, like, oh, goodness, what have I gotten myself into? And you know, uh, dads, we're very tired after that long day, right? It's a, it's a little joke. It's just a little joke. But, but in all honesty, you know, you're exhausted, not in an equal way, but you're both exhausted. And you're holding this child. And we finally got Andy to go to sleep the very first time. And she's swaddled up against her will, of course, right? And, uh, and you know, you, you get that kid asleep for the very first time. And you kind of walk away like, don't anybody breathe on it? Don't even make a sound. Turn everything off. I want to try and catch just 30 minutes of a nap. And so I, I, we get her to sleep, and I lay down on the couch in the hospital room. And the next thing I know, I feel something hitting the side of my head. And and, and I, and I rub my eyes and I open them and I look down and I'm standing at the changing table and Andy's diaper is off and there's one halfway on her head and another one in my hand and Reagan is chunking things at my head trying to get me to wake up because she knows I am sleepwalking through my first diaper change and it's getting messy, right? I'll let you paint the rest of that picture, all right? Not going well. How many of us sleepwalk through Advent? I know I do. Go to the same parties, sing the same songs, go to the same stores, buy variations of the same gifts, light the same candles, read the same words, go to the same stuff. Do you feel like you're sleepwalking yet? And we do this year after year after year after year. And and I'm not trying to dog on traditions that are meaningful and give you life and joy. Those are great. We have so many in our home. It's not Christmas until I watch Home Alone at least three times, right? It's not Christmas until we put ornaments on the tree. Well, I I don't like putting ornaments on the tree. I like watching people put ornaments on the tree, you know. (laughs) There are things that make this season feel like the Advent or the Christmas season, but it's not the Christmas season, is it? And and baby Jesus did not come so that we could go to a bunch of parties we don't want to go to and buy gifts for people that we don't even like that much and do a whole bunch of stuff that we don't even really care about. That is not why God came to this earth, amen? So the first thing I want to say right now is for the love of God, and I mean that, for the love of God, cancel a plan this Advent season. Seriously, cancel a plan this Advent season. Shake things up a bit. Allow the infant Christ to wake you up because guess what? I am pretty good at waking up now after three, almost four years of experience. When Jude, my newborn son, starts crying, I pop out of bed after about five minutes. Reagan doesn't have to throw as many things in my head anymore. I've been trained. Can we let the infant Jesus, the newborn Christ, wake us up, as Paul says, this Advent season, to wake us up out of our slumber, because I look around, and, and, and if I'm being honest, I see myself sleepwalking through so many Advents, and I bet we all sleep, sleepwalk through so many Advents, and may this be one that we get woken up. So we keep reading, and Paul says, now, and he means now, now, today, this very moment, now, our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over, and the day is near. The night is almost over, and the day is near. I find hope. This is the second thing I find hope in. We find hope by knowing salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. We find hope in knowing that salvation is nearer today than it ever has been before. That's hope. Now, there's two sides to this hope. Let me tell you the first side. This this verse from Paul could be comforting or convicting, depending on how you read it. It convicts me. Let me tell you why. People that know me well know that I am a procrastinator. right? Right, fellow clergy? Yeah. So if you work with me, you know that if you say, Scott, can you get this done? And I say, sure. But there's not a deadline on that item it ain't going to happen. Jesus will come back before that gets done. I like hard and fast deadlines. I am a procrastinator. Let's do this again. If you're a procrastinator, raise your hand real high. And better yet, if you're with a procrastinator, raise their hand real high, because trust me, if you don't know it, somebody else does. They know what it's like to live with you, right? My honeydew list gets most things checked off most of the time, right? So I learned something about myself, though, recently. I went to a leadership retreat, and we took the Myers-Briggs test. We're familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality inventory. Now, if I'm being honest, I hope there's nobody in here that, like, teaches that for a living. I haven't really ever loved it. I, I honestly thought that however you woke up that morning, that's kind of what your results came out. You know, you wake up one day, I don't really like people that much. Oh, I'm an introvert. Look at that. Or you wake up another day, you're like, ah, oh, people are great. Look at me. I'm an extrovert. It just never really added up to me. So we have this teacher teaching us the Myers-Briggs, and and they're going into way more depth than I'd ever seen before, and I actually grew to like it, and I'll tell you why. Because one of the things they told me about me was they said, you know, Scott, you like a structured environment. I said, that's pretty true. I like to know why I'm where I am and what we're doing and what we're about. I don't like a whole bunch of ambiguity. I like to have plans kind of set. But they said, but unlike most people who like structured environments, you're what we call pressure-prompted. I'm not a procrastinator, church. I am pressure-prompted. That's a strength, see? Yeah. How many of us are pressure-prompted individuals? Yes, own it. Claim it. That's your truth, right? Pressure-prompted. Paul knew that the church was a pressure-prompted organization, and we still are today, aren't we? Oh, goodness, the church is a pressure-prompted institution. See, in Paul's day and age, he had a theology, and understanding of Jesus that went like this. Jesus could come back at any moment, and he's probably coming back on Tuesday, right? Paul really believed this. We chuckle today because it's been 2,000 years, but in the early church, Jesus could come back any moment, and he's probably coming back on Tuesday. And so when Paul is writing to them about things that need to get done, he's not kidding. He's like, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to look at us and say, what have you been about? And we better have done some good work for the kingdom of God. This created a sense of urgency, a sense of urgency in the early church that I wonder, have we lost that sense of urgency over the last 2,000 years? What do you think, Lovers Lane? Have we lost a little bit of that pressure prompting to get us outside the doors to make us the hands and feet of Jesus, to change the way in which we're living so we could better reflect the life of Christ. Paul says salvation is nearer today than it was before. And that's convicting for me because I got to ask myself, Scott, are you living like Jesus could come back on Tuesday? What have you changed about your life in recent memory? In like, I don't know, the last year. That makes you reflect more of Jesus' love and light into the world around you. Scott, are you living with that kind of sense of urgency that the early church had in spades? Paul says, it is not the time for us to argue. It is not the time for us to bicker about whether or not to eat pork. He gets to that in Romans 14. It is the time for us to be the church for a world in need. Am I living as though Jesus could come back On Tuesday. Now that's a convicting image for me, and I need that kind of conviction. I need that kind of swift kick in the pants to get me up and moving because God knows that I need a deadline, right? But some of us don't need any more pressure prompting. Some of us feel like we are getting pressure from all sides, from every angle. And if one person asks us to do one more thing, we are just going to explode. And so you may be sitting there going, Scott, I don't need any pressure prompting from Paul or you or whomever. And here's the other side of that coin. Paul says that salvation is nearer today than it ever has been before. So if you feel like your walls are pressing in, if you feel like it is darker than you've ever experienced in your life, if you feel like you can't go on one second longer, Paul says salvation is nearer today it's ever been before. The night is almost done. Do you know that, that magical moment when the sun hasn't quite risen, but you can see the glow? You know it's coming. It's almost there. I mean, I remember that staying up all night with a newborn when that sun is almost risen. You go, sweet Jesus, I can make coffee. For those of us in dark places, that is a gift, the gift of light, knowing that the night is coming to an end and salvation is nearer than it's ever been before. So maybe these words of Paul are convicting for you like they are for me. Maybe they're comforting like they need to be this morning. But there's hope in knowing that salvation is nearer today than ever before. Lastly, Paul goes on to say this. He says, so let's get rid. This is when he gets down to brass tacks, right? Let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons or the armor of light. Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around and obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, And don't plan to indulge your selfish desires. Church, the last thing I find hope in, in Paul's words for us this morning, is I find hope by living as though God's love and light are real. I find hope in a life where God's love and light are not something i got to wait for. It's not something i got to hope I get in eternity. It's something I can have right here. Right now. Maybe you're entering this Advent season coming off of the best week of your life. Thanksgiving is a joy-filled experience for you, and you are on Cloud Nine, and you've had Christmas music cranking in your car on the radio for two weeks now, and you've had decorations up since before Halloween, and this is just awesome for you. Great. But maybe you're entering into Advent, and you're in the darkest season of your life, and you wonder if that light is ever going to show up. I don't know you, and I don't know your story, but I know what that feels like. I don't know. It's, it's not the darkest season of my life, but I'm in the middle of a, a little bit of a dark one. Two weeks ago on Saturday evening, my grandmother passed away. Ann Owens Gilliland, a proud Fort Worth resident who very begrudgingly moved to Dallas a few years back to reside in Presbyterian Village North. She was a Horn Frog fan and a Cowtowner through and through. And her body had been failing for several years, and her mind had begun to fail as well in the recent months. And so, truth be told, it was time. It was time. She went quickly and mercifully. She was having dinner. She didn't feel good. Her heart stopped, and she went to be with the Lord, right? And and so logically, my brain is saying, Scott, it's okay. You know, this is good. This is a good thing, but my heart and my soul are grieving in a way that I did not expect. That's hard when you find yourself in darkness, but you're not sure how you got there. Do you know what I mean? And so this past week leading up before Thanksgiving, I knew we were going to be, you know, with in-laws and we were going to be, you know, with all the festivities and the kids and the joy and the laughter and the food, and I just was thinking to myself, I don't want any of that. I don't feel like celebrating. I don't feel like slapping a smile on my face and telling everybody I'm all good because I'm not all good, and I don't know what to do with that, and how is God, more importantly, going to show up in this? Because I'm not seeing it yet. I'm not seeing the hope. I'm not seeing the points of life in my life. And, and I was wondering, how is God going to show up in a really big way? That's not what I got. But I got something better. week before Thanksgiving, that evening, as I'm having those thoughts, that evening we go to a friend's giving. Have you ever been, ever been to a friend's giving before? It's like Thanksgiving, but you get to pick who's around the table. <laughs> right? Because let's be honest, if you were being really honest with yourself, that Thanksgiving table, if you were to do the seating chart, there might be a name or two left off of it, right? So Friendsgiving is when you gather with your friends and you have a Thanksgiving-style meal, or honestly, whatever you want to eat, and you just call it Friendsgiving. So we go to our friend's house up in the Denton area, and we have Friendsgiving, and I'm sitting there, sort of lost in my grief a little bit, and I look around the table, and there's all these people, only about a dozen of us, but it's enough for me, all these people who know me. And love me, not for what I do or who I try to pretend to be, but for who I am, right? They love me for me, warts and all. And, you know, I saw Jesus in that. And then we get in the car, and we go to Kansas City for the week of Thanksgiving, and and we walk into my in-law's house. And, you know, this is an extended family, mind you, that Reagan and I had dated for eight weeks before we got engaged. Now, can you imagine knowing your potential son-in-law for eight weeks before he asks for your daughter's hand in marriage? These people have been saints to me. They also didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They welcome us in, me and my wife and our children, and you know, Andy's got time with cousins, and they're running around and screaming and making way too much noise and breaking stuff and having a blast. And, and Jude and his little cousin, who's a month younger than he is, we're getting every picture. We're filling up our phones uh, with pictures of them, and then we have Thanksgiving, and we're eating dishes that everybody's made, and I made my mac and cheese, and it's better than yours. It's so good. And my brother-in-law brought his tofurkey, and I'm still not quite sure what's in it. He's a vegetarian. And I said, that's fine. My mac and cheese is right here. Just eat that. It looks a lot better than your tofurkey, Right. That's a tofu turkey. It doesn't add up to me. Cindy, it doesn't add up. Just eat the mac and cheese. It's right there. But I saw Jesus in that. I saw Jesus in the laughter and in the family and in the cousins breaking stuff and having too much fun. And then we went on a tour of a museum. And afterwards we got to talking with this family. Uh, Me and my two brother-in-laws were talking with this family, the three Felixes, Felix the second, the third, and the fourth. Felix Rodriguez, the second, the third, and the fourth, and Felix III's wife, Zulma, and they're originally from Puerto Rico, but Felix III now lives in Virginia. He's retired from the Navy, and Felix IV lives in Lawrence, Kansas, and works in domestic violence relief, and it was this beautiful moment of of sharing stories and encountering people that we never otherwise would have met, and I was so thankful for the country I live in where I can meet people like that and have stories and encounters like that. I saw Jesus in Felix and Felix and Felix and Zulma. I saw Jesus in the words of Paul this week as I kept reading and reading and reading and asking God for points of light. And my point in sharing you with sharing this with you is this that when Paul says that we should dress ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's offering us something of a paradox, kind of like waiting for a Jesus who we know is already here. We're remembering how to wait. But Jesus is already here. Jesus is with us. Jesus never leaves us. Jesus is always in front of us and beside us and behind us and above us and below us. But more than that, Paul says Jesus surrounds us. He says, clothe yourself in Jesus. I don't think that's because we need to go find Jesus and put him on. I think it's because we need to remember that not a moment passes by that Jesus doesn't surround us. And the gift of hope in Advent, the gift of hope in this time, is not an an elaborate hope. It's not shiny and glamorous. They don't sell it at Macy's. It's not a big box with a beautiful bow on top. It's the simple things. It's meals shared with people that you love. It's laughter and tears. It's good food and good drink and good conversation. It's cousins having too much fun and breaking stuff. It's meeting strangers and making them friends. The gift of hope this Advent is finding those little, simple, but deep points of light in the darkness. And then sharing that hope, church, with a world that desperately, desperately needs to see it too. So wake up, wake up. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? It's not 1141. Did I get it right? 41. Do you know what time it is? It's Advent. It's time to see Jesus once again. Amen.